Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I don't know why I hung on that words, but I'm Ray Harkins, and I'm your host. So uh, thanks for coming along on this fun journey and romp through independent music and the people who are behind it, are creating it, are involved in it in some capacity. And this week is a huge guest for me. He is one of my favorite drummers of all time, Sammy Siegler. He plays in a band currently called World Be Free. But he's also in some bands that you may or may not have heard of, which I'm joking around because you've heard of all of his bands from Youth of Today, Gorilla Biscuits, played in Glassjaw, played in Limp Biscuit, burying the lead there, but he played in Limp Biscuit, played in Ecstatic Lullaby, played in Lost Prophets, played in Rival Schools. The dude has done everything within the context of playing drums. And obviously, you could not get a more wide variety of bands than the ones I just mentioned. And above it all, Sammy is an incredibly thoughtful and uh, kind guy. After this conversation I had, I was like, you know what? I really, I'm just endeared towards him because uh, I, not like I expected him to be a dick and be like, oh, okay, this is going to be a rough conversation because generally speaking, I've, I've heard nothing but positive things about him. But 
more on him in a few moments. Let's get some uh, observations and musings out of the way, uh, because I, I know that's exactly why you listen into this podcast. Actually, you know, I'm going to give a shout out to my friend Chris, who uh, I recently saw at the Bane show, the final Bane show here in Southern California. He actually was joking around because uh, we were in a group conversation with one of his friends who wasn't aware of the podcast, which, like, Puh, I mean, come on, what are you, are you living under a rock? I'm just kidding, because obviously this podcast isn't insanely popular and everybody knows about it. But anyways, the uh, Chris was saying, he's like, oh, yeah, just fast forward a few minutes. And I'm like, hey, if my friends are saying this, then oh, uh, but he was just joking. So anyways, for those of you that fast forward through this, I totally get it. It's totally fine. As long as you're listening to the interview, it's all I care about. So, uh, yeah, like I mentioned, I went to the last Bane show out here in Southern California, and that was a pretty, uh, yeah, well, first of all, completely unreasonable as far as the time that went on stage. Midnight. Come on, guys. I understand there's a lot of bands that were playing, and everyone was playing cool full sets like Terror and Death by Stereo and a great new band called Axis. But, oh, my gosh, I was just exhausted. So, anyways, removing that personal complaint of a late show, they were incredible and thoughtful and thought-provoking. And Aaron Bedard, uh, you know, will go down as one of the best frontmen from the, uh, you know, late 90s or to early 2000s, even to this day. Like, it's not like he lost uh, any sort of conviction or spring in his step because, uh, yeah, it was just so incredibly, I guess, emotional. That's the best way of putting it. Because this is a band that existed for the better part of uh, 20, 21 years and uh, has left a real impact on hardcore and punk and independent music in general because uh, it's funny, the Bane sweatshirt that, I mean, I just say that and I'm sure you have an image that pops up in your head. I used to joke around that a show couldn't start until someone showed up in that Bane sweatshirt. And so it's like if you had a show of 20 people, there's going to be one person in that. Um, and so I always joked around that it's like, oh, oh, yes, there's the person in the Bane sweatshirt. The show, the show could start now. Um, so anyways, farewell, Bane. Thank you very much. And I, I want to get Aaron Bedard on the show at some point. I emailed back and forth with him. Um, oh, gosh, it was like two years ago. We weren't able to make it happen because uh, I can tell he's kind of reticent to maybe do something as long form like this. And I get it. But anyways, he's a he he's a dream guest. I will uh, continue to pursue that. And then I also saw a band recently called Daughter. Holy crap. That band's incredible. That could potentially be my album of the year. Um, but yeah, just really haunting atmospheric everything i love about music they created and uh in spades so i love that and you should be using the amazon affiliate code please click on the show notes to whatever podcast catcher device or your computer that you're listening to just click on that link save it as a bookmark and do all your shopping via amazon through that link and it supports the show we get kickbacks uh three percent of whatever it is you buy and it doesn't affect your price. It's not like you're paying 3% more. So, uh, yeah, it's just a kickback that Amazon likes to give. So please do that because that funnels to the show and uh, keeps everything running smoothly around here as far as uh, equipment and everything else that I need to make sure to uh, keep this thing going. So there we go. There's business here. Uh, here's Sammy. Like I said, legendary drummer. And uh, I actually, it was funny. The day that I recorded this with him, uh, I saw him that night play in World Be Free. And just watching him play, I was like, oh, man, I just love the way that he plays drums. Just he continues to hit hard, continues to uh, just be a pro at what he does. And I love it. So 
Anyways, this was uh, actually, I threaded this conversation over uh, a couple different, or two days in particular, uh, because Sammy needed to jump off the phone for a first conversation we have. So uh, you might be able to hear the difference in recording, but I, I think you'll, you'll be fine regardless. So here is my lengthy conversation with Sammy, and I will talk to you uh, after the show is over. Here you go. So like when I first started to get into hardcore when I was like, you know, 15, 16 years old, obviously started to buy all of the prerequisite records you're supposed to get from the youth of today's and side by side and Gorilla Biscuits and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then I, it just made me laugh because I, no matter what record I picked up, you were on it. And I was just like, the granted, this was my kid logic where I was just like, are there any other drummers? that play like in New York at all. Um, it just seems so bizarre to me that everyone kept asking you to play at all their records. Um, was it, I'm sure it's difficult for you to kind of like reflect on that time from this perspective, but you know, was it always weird that people were always like, Hey, Sammy will play in this record. Or was it just kind of like, Oh, I'm friends with them. So I'll just jump in on this. It's funny. As you said that, I was just thinking of like, I guess like sort of Keith Morris being in black flag and being in the circle jerks. And kind of when I got those records of just making that connection, like, wait a minute, this guy sang for this band too? Like, how did that happen? Or, right. Um, you know, some of the DC stuff too. But for me, it just kind of, you know, it happened real natural. I was super young, you know, I think at the time too, like 12, 13, 14. And it was like, you know, my friend, you know, one of my best friends knew Walter Schreifel's like little brother, Dylan, and like looped me in with him. And they needed a drummer for Gorilla because so that happened. But then, you know... Uh, another friend of mine introduced me to Jules from Side by Side and they needed a drummer and then Side by Side started opening for Youth of Today on road trips and we all became friends and then you know Mike Judge left Youth of Today and they needed a drummer so I was just there it just happened I kind of like and even past hardcore whenever I was like all right that's it with drums like it's time to grow up and you know kind of whatever get a real job or something it would just things would just sort of kind of fall my lap or just opportunities would sort of present themselves of like hey you know what actually like you know, Civ is now signed to a major label and you can actually make, you know, whatever, some more, you know, some uh, more a money, you know, <laughs> a living. Yeah. You know, or rival schools or, you know, some session stuff. So it just sort of, you know, kind of progressed really natural. I mean, you know, I just, I loved it. I loved playing and I, I worked hard at it and rehearsed a lot and stuff, but, uh, but it was just, you know, we were all friends that happened to play music and, and we're super in hardcore that it was just like, let's do this project. Let's do this project. Let's do something like this. Let's do some heavy. Let's do something super straight edge. Let's do some, you know, whatever it was. So. Yeah. I, I do like that, that vibe too. Cause it is, you, you do see that when you start to develop those friends early within the context of a scene, you do just want to be creative with them. You're just like, dude, I want to just play with you. Like, let's figure this out. And it just, you know, obviously it just happened to be that you were at the apex of the launching of, of a scene. So then, you know, people, retroactively would look back and be like, how is it that you played on so many seminal records? And you're just like, well, it just, it happened. I think as a drummer too, and maybe bass players are like that, um, where you, you just kind of are needed more and you can kind of, you know, you're not like the front, you're not necessarily the face of the band. So it's not like you get really tied to one band. Like you're Ray of today from youth today. And that's who you are. Right. And may, maybe we'll let you be shelter or better than a thousand, but really you're Ray of today. You know what I mean? Like um, as a drummer, you're kind of just able to just sort of jump around and do these projects. And even to this day, like I still think of like, shit, like who could I really want to do a project with this guy or like, um, 
you know, I'm playing shows. This band Nightmare View that I was in is playing some kind of shows. It's a 10 year anniversary of this record. And it's like, shit, man, Brandon's a great songwriter. He's a great dude. I want to do a new project with Brandon or, you know, Daryl from Glassjaw. Like I played with him and like, shit, it would be fun to just do an EP with Daryl or, you know, just ideas or creative ideas. And that's kind of how World Be Free came about was like, you know what, let's just do a couple songs. Let's do this hardcore project. And, you know, kind of became an album. Right, right. No, it's cool because, yeah. you, you, like I said, you just kind of, um, especially you, because you've, uh, you you strike me, even though, um, you know, we don't know each other, I just observe you as being a very laid back person. Um, but you do seem um, proactive because there's obviously people who, you know, I've definitely played with a lot of drummers who are just like, where do I show up? And I'm good. Like, you know, whatever. Like, I'm not going to contribute anything beyond like, you know, just showing up, playing the drums and kind of like that. But you've always struck me as a person where you were rolling up the sleeves and like you said, coming up with these ideas to uh, start projects or whatever. Was that always the case or did you kind of? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I just I recently saw a photograph of a side by side show. I think it might have been like the pyramid or something with a big banner. And I painted the banner in my house. I mean, I was probably 14 years old right. and maybe that, maybe that's just what 14 year old kids do. You know, it's just like you make the t-shirt for your band or like the hat or the thing or, um, so, you know, I did that. And then I guess I was kind of even handling some of the business. I ended up booking, which re- is really crazy looking back. Cause I booked a tour for shelter inside out and quicksand, like a three week tour to Minneapolis and back. I got a bunch of phone numbers from, I think Doug Karen who's a booking agent and, um, just called up these venues and booked this tour. I'm like, you know, 20 of us went out and did it. And that's just kind of nuts. But I guess I was always wired like that to just sort of, you know what, like I, I'm passionate about this. I can, I can make this happen logistically, mm-hmm. you know, as well as, you know, playing on it. Um, yeah, yeah that's, that, that as funny as that sounds, it's not a trait that is common within, um, you know, cause I mean, you'll notice this, there's always like one or two people in uh, any particular band that are more, um, you know, whatever yeah. business and logistics driven. And so it's like, and then the rest of the people, you know, just kind of show up, not like there's anything bad about no, it. No, for sure. And that's the balance. And that's, I mean, definitely every band I've been in, you could point out those people and, um, you yeah. know, as I get older, it's nice to have other people that do it too. I get <laughs> like, um, sure you know, and judge now, like Charlie is just on it. He's great. You know, he was a great addition to the band and he's, he's always been, a, you know, he and I were in Civ together and he's one of these dudes that is just like, I know the, ho- you know, whatever hotel's going to be booked or, you know, just certain logistics. So it's, yeah, it's nice to have that. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. I guess it, it just, it helps you obviously in, in anything you do. I mean, if you want to do something, then if, you know, being coming with a good attitude, a positive attitude and trying to like make the most of the situation and help, help the, the overall cause. It was always that, that mentality of that band mentality of like, that's why I never really was a big session guy. Cause I just didn't like that idea of just showing up, playing anything and leaving. I like the idea of, you know, let's make something special. Let's make, you know, let's make the banner, let's work together on the t-shirt. Let's make the, you know, the tour and let's all win together mm-hmm. in, in whatever project this is. Right. You want to be all encompassing. You want to feel like you're a part of something as opposed to, like you said, just, just right. you know, being a service provider. <laughs> right. If yeah. it works, we're all psyched. If it fails, then we're all in it together. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I reflect on the idea, like you've mentioned uh, more than once already, where it's like, you know, because you were so young, uh, starting to play in these bands. Um, you know, where uh, were you, were you born and raised in New York city or where did you come? Yeah, I grew up, I grew up in New York city. I grew up in downtown in Manhattan. Actually, like my great grandfather started a moving and storage business in like 1875 
and had like a little warehouse uh, downtown in Manhattan that um, it's actually where we ended up rehearsing. We took the pic- the picture of the back cover of the Disengage Seven Inch was taken there, and mm-hmm. we kind of we wrote that record there and went on the salon there and bringing it down. A lot of it was there, so. Um, does it still? No, does it, does it still, uh, is no, it still in your family? Some, no, no, no. The whole neighborhoods, you know, all changed. And this one photographer bought it, and, and that was kind of it, like a, uh, a while ago. But, uh, but yeah, I grew up downtown, and my parents were really cool. My dad played drums. My grandfather played drums. They were really supportive. My mom, you know, I mean, it would help that we were all straight edge. And my mom loved having us all around, and was like, you know, kind of our house was sort of like the clubhouse, I guess, in a lot of ways. I mean, Billy from side by side, you know, was homeless for a little bit, and then stayed with us for a few weeks, and Gavin. Um, who was playing side by side at the time, stayed with us for a little bit as well. And just different, you know, Purcell moved in <laughs> for a while. And so, uh, yeah, you, you were, know, they you, were, you, they everyone was, was welcome with open arms. It sounded like, yeah. And that, I think coupled with the fact that I have, I have an older sister who's three years older than me. And she introduced me to kind of like my first real band, which was a band called noise police, um, which were these two guys that later went on to be in the skidanks, Alex and Toby, and that was we covered power by agnostic front so that was sort of my first introduction to sort of new york hardcore um that was probably 85 you know so i was seven i was 12 years old um you know and they weren't straight edge and i you know i I was into coming out of punk originally like i kind of i guess i got into kiss when i was really young and then like blondie and devo and then just punk records and then i was into like punk and kind of thinking i was cool and smoking cigarettes and trying weed i mean shit crazy shit at a young age as a father now like it's wild to even look back at it <laughs> right but um i mean i did acid by accident like a, a friend of mine gave me this tab of acid in washington square park and i was like oh cool and he said it's like pot and i was like okay and then i just and you're like, my ass up <laughs> scared the shit out of me so when i met these straight edge dudes i was so happy i was like all right this fucking rules I, right and you're like definitely. hey this guess what this isn't like pot <laughs> yeah yeah exactly surprise so what did your uh, what did your parents do like did they work in the moving business or what did they do to kind of uh... so yeah so i mean my dad kind of had this family business thing um which was moving in stores so moving people so i would work you know in summers i would work there and help people move up and downstairs and all sorts of shit um you know he loved playing i think uh he would have preferred to you know, been a professional musician and play more, but this, you know, you get two kids and this job was kind of right there for him. So he did it. My mom was a freelance copywriter. So she would, you know, bang out a typewriter and just write stuff for, you know, catalogs. And, um, you know, my sister, you know, we were, life was pretty good. I mean, there's, I met people in the hardcore scene who had really fucked up situations, you know, who kind of, you know, were driven to hardcore to get away from whatever fucked up situation. That wasn't really the case for me. You know, my parents were cool. My situation was pretty cool. You know, we were like middle class or something. Um, so I just loved the people and the music and the energy and, you know, the, I mean, really all of it. But but I guess, you know, I mean, ultimately that's what's cool about the hardcore scene, at least it was at the time, was that everyone was sort of welcome. It's not like you had to be fucking living on the streets or you had to be, right. you know, this or that. I mean, you know, there was some everyone, kid. Everyone came to it with their own experiences and obviously that didn't that just made you who you are and it didn't define you as a person. And plus, yeah. plus I, li- I like the, um, cause I, I definitely think that, you know, each proverbial scene kind of has that sort of central house, whether it's like, you know, obviously like you mentioned, your, your family was so inviting and like, you know, I, I, I had a similar experience where my parents were super supportive of all the bands I played in. And anytime I, you know, <laughs> my parents woke up in the morning and they're, you know, like six dudes just sleeping on the floor. And it was like, you know, most parents would be like, what are you doing? But you know, my mom was cool. And obviously it sounds like, 
your um, your house was the focal point of a lot of uh, activity around that. And so, I, yeah, I, I presume I presume that because of they kind of your parents knew the lay of the land and knew a lot of the people that you were involved with. That's why they were like, oh, that's OK. You can, you know, <laughs> go on tour when you're it's, 13 and 14. Yeah, totally. That, exactly. I mean, basically, in 88, when Youth Today did the one on Salon tour, that was my first real like tour. I mean, it was almost, you know, two months. And, you know, the only reason why I was allowed to go was because, you know, she'd already known these guys for a couple of years already, you know, and, and trusted us all and stuff. So, right. and I think growing up in the city, you just, you just, you grow up younger, you know, you do things. I mean, shit, I'd already done acid two years right. prior to that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. You're like, yo, I'm an adult. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> so did you, um, just because you got introduced so young, like, did you, you know, like care about school or like, where was that in your head as far as were you just basically biding time until you could get out and obviously focus? On I mean, I like, I definitely, I liked it more from the social aspect of just going to hang out with my friends and stuff. I, I, you know, unfortunately wasn't like the most academic kind of kid um and then later in high school when i was really into like yeah when i was fully like in the hardcore and playing in bands um yeah i guess i was definitely not as as focused it was kind of like all right let me do this and 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 then get out of here and go you know play my shows on the weekend and, and go to rehearsals and do this and that it was funny i went to like a private school that went out of business um school called mcburney i think actually richie birkenhead went there and a bunch of other people but um I went on that tour in 88 and I came back after touring the summer and my mom was like, Oh, your school went out of business. Cause they were trying to move, move buildings or something. I was like, fuck, what do I do? Right. So my, my friend, uh, went to the school called PCS. So it was like professional children's schools, a lot of actors, like the Cosby kids went there and Macaulay Coughlin, a lot of people who were supposed professionals that would be able to leave school and not get kicked out or have to repeat a year and they just get tutors or whatever. Um, and there was also kids that just went there for normal school, but I ended up just going there like, fuck, okay, let's go to this place. It looks cool. And we went, we got in. And sure enough, that winter, Youth Today toured Europe for two months during the school year. So I was actually able to to kind of go on consignment and do my schoolwork from the road, which was a trip because I was in Rome, you know, studying about the Roman Empire. And I was in Germany studying about the Nazis and checking shit out. And um, I still managed to fail like math and Spanish, but sure. ultimately it all kind of worked out. But that was a really weird unique scene you know what i mean that, yeah. that that doesn't happen very often and um but you know i i liked i had friends at school and, and you know like yeah i think the social aspect was fun but i was i was definitely into my like those my the youth crew or whatever like that was my scene those were my dudes and we would hang out all the time and right um you know did you um just because obviously uh, the, the the notion of you know doing these bands from sort of a you know like you said a career full time standpoint like you know that no one had that in their heads at that point just because it you know you were children and you didn't think that way um when when did all that stuff start to kind of um I guess where it felt real for you where it was like oh wow. I think that like I went to um. I went to, like, Gorilla Biscuits broke up. I was playing Gorilla Biscuits again in, like, 91 and broke up. I started playing in this reggae band called 32 Tribes, which was a really cool chapter in retrospect. I think I did it for, like, two years, and it was just these kids that went to the United Nations school. So we, you know, our bass player was, like, from Jamaica, and our singer was from Ghana, and, the, you know, guitar player was from Sierra Leone, or, or actually vice versa. But um, So it was a really cool band. We played, like, a whole different sort of scene. We were playing colleges and, like, nightclubs and stuff. Um, but after that, I was like, all right, I got to, or maybe around that time, I was like, I got to go to college. All my friends are going to college. So I went to the new school and they have a jazz program there. So I was studying jazz and kind of, you know, liberal arts and stuff. And 
kind of supposedly sort of growing up and doing what all my friends were doing as far as school. But meanwhile, we started this band, Civ, and I was also playing with Ian Love in a band called Loaded. And I think this must have been the time around the time when like Green Day was just starting to blow up and the offspring was starting to blow up and like punk was starting to blow up. So these major labels were starting to sign these bands. And I remember like Loaded did a demo and we had this lawyer that we knew who was just like, Hey, people are really interested. You know, you guys might get yourselves a record deal or whatever. Or the grunge uh, that was more in the vein of grunge, actually. And I, I think that that Nirvana and all that stuff was also starting to kind of blow up and um but then at the same time, Civ started to kind of get some traction with the EP that we did with Etsy Brute and Can't Wait More. And then we got a record deal. And I was, you know, I love the new school was a cool experience. But ultimately, after a year and a half, I didn't want to become a music teacher. I wasn't into like ethnomusicology. You know, I wanted to fucking rock out with my friends on the road. And so I basically, you know, bailed on that and just went. Civ got a record deal with Atlantic and um, just kind of doubled down on that. What's up, man? Um, so yeah, we just doubled down on that and, and that's, I guess when it kind of felt real because that was different, you know, that was, um, we had a tour bus, you know, we had tour support, we had a shit that like, you know, was unheard of back in, you know, the youth today days and stuff when we were sleeping on people's floors. Right. Um, we had budgets for hotels, we had a crew, you know, we had like a tech and all this sort of stuff. And, um, so I think that was really the point where things kind of changed, which was cool because honestly, if it stayed the same, I would have probably have gotten bored. I mean, there's only so many, you know, I, I love hardcore and I love, I love it all, but I just like it when things evolve or devolve or just change. So it's not the same over and over. Right. Well, yeah. I, I think that most people, when they look at your uh, your career from, you know, playing on so many varied records, I, I think that's pretty evident because yeah, you don't, um, you don't stick to the script, you know, it's not like, yeah. you, it's not like you, you, the past 20 years, you've just been like, well, only interested in hardcore. Like that's all. And it was, an, it was a natural progression. I mean, to be, you know, Civ was a bit of a departure from straight up hardcore. We had some sort of poppy tunes, but you know, after four or five years of that, when Civ finally broke up, you know, I was at fortune to do rival schools and that was sort of a different experience, different experience in itself. I and mean, we had more success in the UK. We had like a song on the charts uk we're doing all this like different sort of press and we're just playing different you know just different areas that that uk success was yeah it was just to kind of put you into a different sort of place i guess um you know and then also the world kind of just starts to open up um you know now there's a scene in japan and now there's a scene in australia and so now you're traveling around the world i mean civ played in hawaii and just it was just cool the way it, you just got to witness from kind of back in you know planting a little seed in Europe in 1989 with Youth of Today to you know 2001 with you know rival schools like it's just cool to see like how yeah things sort of grew progressed right. the different experiences can uh, although they're like you said well different they all feel similar because you're obviously still creating music, but then, you know, it's just on a larger scale where it's like, Oh wow. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like you, like, you you know, in retrospect too, I mean, I've done stuff without Walter, but I mean, really Walter is like this really cool constant in a lot of that stuff. I mean, definitely in Civ and definitely in rival schools. And then he and I were used to together and played in grill biscuits together and stuff. So, I mean, like, you know, it's nice to have, you know, some kind of familiar faces throughout these changing times. Right. Um, the and I'm, I know you've been posed this question before, but um, the you know the idea of, of drums obviously was in your family. But did you ever tinker around with anything else? Like, were you like, oh, that'd be cool to be you know play guitar, be a singer? Yeah, I mean, I wish I did. I mean, it got, it gets frustrating at a 
point, you know, you have ideas in your head and you got to like hum it out to someone to kind of like transcribe and figure out. So there was a time where I was like, fuck, I gotta learn how to play guitar. This is getting ridiculous. I mean, I took some piano lessons. I didn't really, I didn't didn't really spend enough time on it, Mm -hmm. but, um, a little bit of guitar, but not as much as I probably should have. I mean, at some point I really got into like, or I started to get into pro tools and reason and programming beats. And that was really cool to finally just have some freedom to like, Oh wow, you can like program a bass line or program, you know, an organ line or, or just a melody or some kind of idea. Um, but you know, looking back, like all you kids out there, like at a young age, like learn, if you're into music, definitely learn more than just your one instrument, especially drums. I mean, it's cool. I think, you know, to be able to learn a, a sort of more melodic instrument, like, guitar or bass or um or piano or something like that it helps you right so something that has notes i mean technically drums yeah. have notes too but still <laughs> yeah i mean my dad always taught me he said look you know drums you got to play the song on the drums like you know he's like a good drummer you could walk into a jazz club in the middle of a drum solo and know what song he's playing you know that's a good drummer so if you're you know you're not just banging on the drums you're playing approaching them in a musical way which you know was cool and i think Maybe, you know, I mean, definitely his influence gave me sort of a unique approach to hardcore, even a more musical approach. And I was exposed to jazz and I played in this reggae band and, you know, I just love, you know, hip hop and all different kinds of music. So, yeah, you, you were able to take all those influences and obviously play it out on you're not just this linear drummer who's like, yeah, I'll hit really hard for hours. Right. And those guys are great and kudos to them. But it just that wasn't my my thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The. um and so something I find interesting too, because you have worked with so many different people, like you said, across musical genres, um, the, you know, what are the, what are some of the things that you've obviously learned by basically having to integrate yourself in really bizarre situations from like, obviously like, you know, playing session stuff for Limp Bizkit. And then, uh, like you said, Nightmare Review and like all of these different personalities. And, um, you know, th- this is going to lead into another question I'll ask later, just in regards to you being kind of a, you know, easygoing person. Um, mm-hmm. it was, is that kind of what you focused on where it's just like, all right, no matter what room I'm in, I got to be, um, you know, I got to bring my A game, but I, I have to be a person who's kind of adapting to the energy and the personalities that are within the bands or how do, how do you approach that? Yeah, definitely. I think it's more of a probably personality thing of just being, I'm a pretty open, friendly, can make small talk kind of guy, you know? Um, and I think being able to adapt to different situations and I, I know I like, I like the, you know, just the bring it on aspect of life, you know, like, fuck it. Okay, cool. You know what? Let's try it. Bring it on. See if it works. I mean, if it's something I really don't want to do, I'm not going to do it. But, you know, that Limp Biscuit thing being the weirdest one. I mean, I grew up like hating Limp Biscuit, but um, I knew the producer. He asked me if I wanted to do it and I was in LA and I was like, sure, why not? Let's jam. Let's see what happens. It was so bizarre. It was so off the wall that I was like, fuck it, let's do it. And so it was, uh, it ended up being a really cool experience, but that definitely, um, that definitely equipped me for that, you know? Um, yeah. Well, cause I, I think there's something important that you said in there where the, the notion of closing yourself off and like saying no to things like, you know, I, I've never understood people who, um, you know, their, their default mode is no. It's like the idea. Yeah. Is, you, you gotta be in it to win it. You don't know till you try it. Like, right. You know, you gotta put your hook in the water to get a fish, all that shit. Like, you know, let's just do it. Sure. I mean, I ran into a friend of mine, he was dating Patty Smith. I went to school with this kid and he was dating Patty Smith and lived by me on McDougal street. And he said, Hey man, uh, uh, Patty's got a, a weird, like last minute show coming up. Do you want to play drums? I was like, sure, let's do it. So I ended up playing drums for Patty Smith for this like benefit show. Um, 
I think me and the bass player for 32 Tribes played on this PM Dawn uh, track once, which I'm kind of like vaguely remember, but just there's, you know, just many different chapters. And that's how all the, you know, the hardcore stuff, you want to do a project? Let's do something called Project X. Cool. You know, let's do something like, you know, just all that stuff. Um, Yeah. But yeah. Would you, um, so, you know, kind of, kind of going into what we were just talking about, but um, the, uh, the, the easygoing nature of you as a person, like, so you, you do strike me as a guy who can kind of inject yourself into most situations and not in a bad way, but be kind of a chameleon where you're just like, okay, what's the common thread that I can pull from this group of people that we can kind of get along? Um, was that always how you were, or was that something that you kind of like learned just because you got involved with so many different people so young? I think I was always really just kind of personable, you know, some of the class clown, I guess, or, you know, just sort of that kind of guy. But, um, but as a musician, I guess, looking back, like there, you know, the common thread in all these projects and everything I do for better or for worse is hardcore, you know? So when I do like nightmare view, like, you know, I mean, other drummers would approach it differently, but I just have this like kind of sit on top of the beat, you know, lay into it, you know, kind of approach to that. Um, you know, even if I'm doing stuff with brushes, you know, I just still have this hardcore thing, which again, sometimes I think sucks. I'm like, fuck man, why do I always just, you know, why can't I hit like some of these other guys that are, you know, non hardcore dudes. I don't know if this makes sense, but like, um, so I think the common thread is hardcore, you know, so whether it's, you know, I've glass jaw and grill and, uh, limp biscuit and, but you know, any project that I have, it's musically, that's the backbone of it. But I th- yeah, I mean, as far as what equipped me to kind of approach these situations, I think I've always been like uh, that kind of person, you know. I've just uh, and I, 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 maybe it's just growing up in New York too. Um, yeah, you have to get used to so many different people and personalities and cultural backgrounds and all that sort of stuff in order to you know survive, obviously, in the city. Yeah, it's a really unique way. I mean, again, as a father now, like I'm just I'm kind of looking at that stuff. You know, I've got a six year old daughter and we live in LA, which is cool, but it kind of feels suburban to me at times. Um, you know, and she's pretty outgoing too, but it's, I just, man, looking back like New York, especially in that time in the seventies, like it was fucking very interesting, you know, (laughs) that's probably putting it kindly. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The, um, and so then as you, uh, as you started to, um, dive more into kind of looking at your, your world outside of the context of, you know, just playing drums in a band and like, obviously like, what do I need to do to survive and all that sort of stuff? Like, did you have any aspirations from, uh, I guess a career perspective or was it just basically like, oh, I'll do this thing until it runs out and then, um, you know, we'll see what's available. Shit. I mean, I think it kind of, it's the same sort of thing that allows me to kind of approach these different bands and walk into a room and learn the songs. Like, um, kind of has been sort of in the back of my mind like you know i'm just going to figure it out like it's going to work out this career thing and i've had thoughts i've always if anything i've had too many ideas like i'm going to start a comic book company with my friends or i'm going to start a record label which i did and you know like um and it, it probably stems from that whole original diy kind of hardcore thing of just like you could do whatever you want um but you know i i, I guess i just always feel like i'm going to kind of land on my feet and like adapt to different situations but uh, so, so it never, it never really was a huge concern. I mean, it's always on, it's on my mind a lot of like, fuck, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What's my plan? What's my 10 year plan? My 20 year plan? What are right. have? All that kind of stuff, especially having a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you know, for the most part, looking back, like I just sort of was kind of going forward and, um, but I mean, really, I mean, having a kid changes a lot of it because 
Yeah, you're responsible what, for someone beyond just yourself. Yeah, when it was just me, it was I could definitely I got this. I got it. I figured out what's comes worse. I'll fucking work at Starbucks. And I'll play drums, and it'll all work out. You know, I just. But um, right. The yeah. um, something I find interesting too, just because uh, of the the time that you you know that you grew up within the the context of the New York City hardcore scene. There were so many philosophies that were, um, you know, being incorporated into the scene, whether it was like Krishna consciousness, whether it was straight edge, you know, veganism, vegetarianism, like all these ideas were circling around you. And obviously you incorporated some of them into your life, um, you know, but what were some of the principles that um, I, I guess attracted you when all of these things were kind of swirling around? Because essentially, you know, you could be you could label yourself like seven different things at that particular time. Um and so I don't, I don't know what kind of stuck to you, uh, with, with those, those philosophies that, um, I guess you carry with you. You know, for, so for me, as far as my philosophies, like, you know, again, I, I kind of, all my best friends when I was a kid, you know, when I was 13, 14, 15 that whole world and we were playing hardcore where, you know, we were all straight edge. So I think I was just kind of influenced by them, you know, being that they were sort of older. Some of those guys were a couple years old, almost like my older brothers. So when Ray Kappa was talking about being a vegetarian, it was just like, yeah, sure, let's do it. Um, you know, it took me a while to kind of wean off me, but I got into it. Straight edge was sort of a no brainer. I loved, you know, I was a fan of youth today before I joined the band. I loved uniform choice. You know, I loved a lot of straight edge bands and and that stuff just kind of came easy. As I got older, I remember playing in shelter and being around those guys and, you know, being, staying at some Christian temples and staying at, you know, people's houses who are full, full blown Hare Krishnas and, you know, kind of Ray was, you know, Ray was into talking about it and kind of challenging your philosophies and this and that. And, I loved it, but I also sort of felt confident with who I was. Um, and again, I don't know if that's from just growing up in the city and just being exposed to like, I knew some dudes that were into Ras, you know, Rastafari. I knew some dudes that were into, you know, my dad's Jewish, my mom's Lutheran. Like, um, I was never very religious, but I was always exposed to a lot of different things that I just kind of felt confident. And my take is that it's a personal sort of thing. And, and, uh, and it's great to learn about things. And it's great to experience things. But at the end of the day, I don't necessarily need to shave my head, get a Sika, wear some beads, and jump around. If you want to do it, that's great. Kudos to you. But like for me personally, that wasn't really my. Um, that was my. That wasn't my thing. So I, I just kind of. I guess I. At that point, when I was really, when those guys were all getting to Hare Krishna and stuff, I just. I think I had just been. I don't know, maybe experienced enough things where I just sort of felt. I mean, I, you know, you're always going to evolve. I hope, hopefully, I will until the day I die. And who the fuck knows? Maybe I'll become a Hare Krishna or, right. or something at some point. But at that time, you know, my philosophies were just sort of this, you know, eclectic kind of things that I've picked up throughout the years of of living my life. Mm-hmm. Sure, right. You you didn't need to necessarily attach yourself to these certain things just because you ultimately you know, probably didn't believe in them strongly enough to be like, okay, I am this person, you know, it's like, obviously, like you said, the, the things that you were incorporating into your life earlier. Were- if they had, if, if they had better food, maybe I didn't like the food. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> so, Hey, it's a simple thing, man. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different things that stress us out, right? Like maybe it's something really, really small, like, man, that parking space, it's always taken. And I wish that I would be able to like get it instead of, you know, this person that maybe, you know, is the most courteous and considerate. 
I know that's something very random, but it's true. We all experience different things throughout the day that trigger us in so many different ways. And there are many times where I have been like, I wish that I had a a spot or a repository for me to, you know, get this stuff off of my chest. Because if you bottle it up, that is no bueno. And then all of a sudden you explode on a coworker or a friend or a family member being like, the parking spot. And people are like, what are you talking about? That is where therapy comes in. And I love working with BetterHelp because I'm a huge advocate for therapy, broadly speaking. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, please give BetterHelp a try. It is so easy because it's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you do is fill out a brief questionnaire, and then you get matched with a licensed therapist. And if you are not vibing with the therapist for any reason, you can switch it out at no additional charge. Get things off of your chest with BetterHelp. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Ray. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. What's up, everybody? I'm Toby Morrell from the Bad Christian Podcast, and I wanted to let you all know about the brand new Jabberjaw Media Block on Adobe Radio. Tune in every Thursday night from 5 to 8 p.m. to hear brand new episodes from the Modern Vinyl Podcast, as well as new episodes from one of my very favorite shows, Break It Down with Matt Carter. All you have to do is head to adobe.com, that's I-D-O-B-I.com, and tune in every Thursday night from 5 to 8 p.m. to hear some of your favorite Jabberjaw Media Podcasts on Adobe Radio. The Did you ever have any sort of like, uh, did you go to college or anything like that? Or did you ever had any other plans as far as like a, a career is concerned, for lack of a better term? I think that, you know, I, uh, I was just kind of motoring along, playing in hardcore bands. And it just sort of all you know, kept one band, one to the next band, the next band, the next band. And then it was a certain point where I want to say like a 91. It's almost like you could almost put it on one show. It was Gorilla Biscuits 91 at... Uh, the marquee i think it was and like there was a stabbing i think this guy minus got stabbed um and it was just sort of like 
the end. Who else played that show? It was definitely Gorilla Biscuits, Marky, and I played. And I just feel like, to me, like almost like that around the time of that show, uh, like it's just almost like the page turned on that sort of whole scene that that I'd been doing for years. And it's 91, and I was however old I was, uh, and I felt like a lot of my friends were in college, kind of on to their next sort of thing, sort of growing up. And while I was playing a lot of bands, they were sort of focusing on their careers. And I you know, was like, shit, I guess I got to go to college. Um, probably about a year or two after that, I guess, more like 92, 93. But um, I was playing this reggae band, 32 Tribes, which I think I mentioned, mm-hmm. um, and doing that. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go to the new school. It's by my house. They've got a music program. And that's just kind of like the responsible thing to do. I did that for about a year and a half. And while I was doing that, I was still playing. Uh, I was starting to play in Stiv. We started kind of working on that as, a, as a, really as a project. It started as a seven inch. It was just, there was no real intentions for it to become like a real band. Um, and I was doing this band, Loaded. It was called Engine. And then we changed the name to Loaded with Ian Love and a few other people. But, um, but really like in college, kind of, you know, open to whatever the next chapter was and you know, I had some interest in cooking. I didn't really know what else. I'm trying to think of other like career type things that I could have done beside music. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I, w- I was open to it. And then uh, yeah, about a, after a year and a half of going to music school, which was a really cool experience. Um, you know, it was, a, it was a jazz program. This guy Chico Hamilton was my teacher, and Reggie Workman, a lot of real badasses. And it was taking you know English and some other liberal arts and stuff. But uh, I just realized like I don't want to be an ethnomusicologist. I don't want to be a music teacher. Um, and I want to f- still play. And so st- fortunately, Siv had an opportunity. We got you know this record deal and, and that sort of just kind of kept it going. So I feel like every time I stepped out for a minute there and, and tried to kind of get away from music, a cool opportunity would present itself. Um, so I would just kind of keep keep going, stay in the course. Right. Yeah. You, you get pulled back in because like you said, it's, it's an opportunity and it's like, well, I can't say no to this. So I'll do it. Yeah. You know, I'm a big fan of just like you follow the signs of life. You know what I mean? Like if, if life says, hey, listen, join the army, join the army. This is a really great guy. Join the army. Like, you know, I mean, I think twice or three times before I did it. But you know what I mean? Like, you, yeah. what, what, where is it presenting itself? Like what, uh, and it, you know, throughout my life, it's always been that way. The weather, like I think we were talking about, I ended up doing some session, you know, for a static lullaby in L.A. And while I'm in L.A., you know, my friend Ross calls me up and says, hey, do you want to try this Limp Bizkit thing? I was like, sure. That's an interesting, right. weird scenario that life just presented, you know, to me. That, right. uh, And I think it's smart to be able to recognize when, you know, fuck, let me try it. And it's kind of even why I'm living in L.A. now is because a friend of mine offered me this job. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was fighting it. And I, a, lot, a lot of my really good friends were just like, you know what, try it. You could always move back to New York. If it sucks, you can quit, you know, like and just sort of try it. And so, uh, it's, you know, it's almost been four years and it's been working out. And so it's, yeah, no, I, I, I like, I like the way that you, you, you lay that out because yeah, like you said, it's just one of those things where, um, sometimes people don't even recognize what an opportunity is, even if it's like not the sexiest thing. It's like, if you're given a choice and then, you know, a lot of people tend to choose on the safer side of things. And it's like, well, you know, you got to put it, you got to put yourself out there in some capacities because it's not like, you know, like you were mentioning, it's not like doing session work is the, the coolest or sexiest thing in the world, especially, you know, whatever. Someone could look yeah. at the work that you did with Limp Biscuit and be like, like, do whatever, man. But you're like, well, no, no it's but like you meet, you meet someone from there that, you know, I mean, like just something could come from that and, and it could grow. And, and it's like, if you don't put yourself out there, you're not going to experience that. Mm-hmm. I actually just was sort of on a little vacation down in Mexico with some really good friends of mine and my friend's son is like 13. He was on the fucking couch for a week straight playing video games. 
like his head was buried. I think he was watching YouTube, recorded YouTube clips of other kids playing video games. Right. Like, you know, and I was just like, man, like you fucking just come for a drive with me. Like come run this errand with me. Like just do something because you got to put yourself out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you might, whatever, you might meet some chick who ends up being your wife and right. your kids. And, li- and life changed because you went and, you know, bought some fruit and vegetables with me. <laughs> it totally you know what i mean like absolutely the smallest yeah. of things can have such a huge impact but uh-huh. um the uh there, there's a few things i wanted to unravel in there uh focusing in on your time in civ because like you mentioned it was just this this really you know kind of cute project you were doing just because it was fun and obviously people you played with before um but it was so bizarre um i mean granted at that time i think i was maybe 13 14 years old and i was really really consuming you know, like 120 minutes and stuff like that on MTV. And I definitely yeah. remember seeing that video and just being like, I didn't really necessarily understand it because I hadn't really been introduced to the hardcore scene uh, proper as of yet. But, yeah. it, you know, I, I mean, reflecting on that time, was it just like so kind of bizarre for you guys to be thrown into this this major label world because of um, all of the ba- independent bands being gobbled up during that time? Or was it just kind of a... I think, you know, it, it happened naturally. I think, like, some of the best things, you know, are, like, the, you know, happen sort of naturally and feel right when it, when they do happen. You know, it's like it sucks to force something. Like, hey, I got this new band. Like, sign me, sign me, sign me, sign me, sign me. You know, we wrote hits, sign me. Like, it wasn't that at all. It was just very, like... You know, hey, let's record this EP. You know, Etu Brutes' hardcore song on one side, and Can't Admit It other song, which really was not written to like be a radio kind of pop song. It was just like a song that you know was just had a cool vibe, and, and we were inspired, I think, a lot by like the Buzzcocks and the Jam and the Clash and that sort of stuff. Um, and then that, I think we had the idea. We're talking to our friend Marco Siega, who's who was an old friend. He was in Bad Trip, and he was into making videos, and he was like, I want to make a video. I got this idea for the song. Let's do it. And like, you know, we kind of scrounged together some money and Jordan from Revelation kicked in a little bit of money. And we did this, this video, like on the weekend at the studio that was like closed, you know, we were just, just hustled like, you know, favors, like barred shit, barred people, um, made the video. And then really from the video and the song, our friend Mike Gitter, who is a hardcore dude who happened to be at Atlantic records at Lava Atlantic. He was there. He was at the video shoot. Like he got it immediately. He saw the potential along with what was going on. I think with like the offspring and green day and the explosion of sort of punk or whatever. Um, and it just kind of happened, you know, naturally where they were like, this is great. We want more songs. Let's do it. Let's make a record. And, you know, next, you know, we were able to spend like a month just writing and, you know, Walter and Charlie and I really just got into it and Siv and, and Arthur and, um, and it just sort of happened, yeah, again, very naturally. And then, like, the manager happened to be Quicksand's manager, so who, you know, this guy Scott McGee, who was kind of like a, he came from sort of a more like rock world. He did like Skid Row, and his brother does Manage Kiss. But, like, but Scott was our manager, and again, just through Walter's relationship. And, uh, and so he had, you know, sort of these connections to larger tours, and it just, I think that, along with just what was going on in music in general, I mean, at that time, I think Sick of It All got signed to, uh, what was it, like East West, East West. a major label, and Into Another was signed to Hollywood, and, you know, every band was just signed to a major label, and that was it. And I, I had made peace with that. I was fine. Like, I, I'm, you know, again, like, I'm cool with my hardcore cred, and, and I love the mom-and-pop indie aspect of things, but it was sort of new, uncharted territory. These people were... You know, and also, like, the people that we were dealing with were kind of hardcore people. Like, Mike mm-hmm. Gitter was a hardcore dude. He just happened to be in this position of working for, a, you know, a major label. And so, um, so we, yeah. 
so correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I, I've heard I heard you say in there that you guys did that video kind of on your own on spec. Yes. Before that's funny because for whatever I mean, I just always was under the impression that the video obviously came after the Atlantic deal, but that wasn't the right. Case. No, totally. No, it was just like let's do. Uh, the idea for Civ was to do a, a series of EPs, and then yeah, the video was just something that I think Walter and Marco started talking about and. And it just kind of was like, yeah, let's do this video. And it wasn't even like, let's do a video to get signed. Let's do a video. It was just like, let's do this cool video right. to accompany yeah. the song. Marcus, Marcus wants to get into doing videos. And then, you know, he later went on to be uh, to do a lot of huge videos. And he does a couple of TV shows now and stuff. So it was, it was right. cool. Do you, um, just because obviously since you've been involved for so long, um, the, uh, you know, the highs and lows that you experience in regards to the sort of business of making music, um, you've always seemed to be, uh, just, uh, just based on your personality, uh, rel- relatively unaffected by the fact that it's like, okay, well, this record didn't, you know, wasn't the second coming of Christ or the next Nirvana or whatever, you know, whatever descriptor you want to put on it. Um, yeah. Were, were there moments in your head that you kind of, you know, you went through that were sort of your low points where it's like, oh, man, I don't even know if I want to pick up a, a stick anymore because of, you know, you just get you just get kind of grind down by the business. Or did you always kind of have a healthy attitude? I mean, the it? stuff that makes me not want to pick up a stick anymore is more like bullshit between good friends. You know, like when you're in a band and you are arguing over like T-shirts or you're arguing <laughs> over like. You know, just somebody or you're and you're just maybe you're burnt out because you've been touring too much or, you know, someone needs a break and they're just not communicating it properly. But like that stuff sucks. That's when it's like, you know what? Like this isn't really like it's not like we're all getting rich off this. And on top of that, you know, we're arguing with each other. And so that's kind of stuff makes me not want to do it. If a good friend is, you know, just we, you know, if you get in some sort of dispute over some bullshit. But as far as like the, you know, the records selling or not selling or, or whatever like that. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just kind of ride it. I I, I think maybe my way of sort of protecting myself was by doing a lot of different things because that then it's like, uh, it's not like I'm just, I have everything vested in this one fucking release. And if it doesn't do well, like I'm screwed, but I mean, obviously I want everything to be, you know, received well, it helps. But I think a good example could be like the second Civ record Mm -hmm. and we did it. And, you know, it was our second major label release and we were coming off tour with like no doubt. And, you know, there was a lot of like the pop punk thing was sort of very big and we wanted to write like kind of, you know, I think again, more like a jam and the buzzcocks and Walter wasn't really around to help write the way he did on the first record. And we made this record and, and it's a cool record. It just was a little, a little bit of a curveball, I think to a lot of our fans. And on top of that, the label didn't support it. So I got my first experience of what happens when a label just literally does not get behind it. And so they didn't, um, fortunately we were able to get out of our deal. We got our masters back and, you know, we left in a, in a good way, but you know, that was kind of a bummer because yeah, you spend a year, you know, year and a half or whatever writing and recording and you wait for it to come out and it comes out and then it just kind of doesn't do well. But it, it was also, that was, you know, the band, although it was only our second album, the band had been around for like five years. So maybe it was right. just time to, to do something different, you know, cause, yeah. um, that's, a, that's a long time. Yeah, well, I, I like I like your uh, your reflection on that idea of you know keeping busy regardless of what is happening because I think you know a lot of people definitely mistake the idea of uh, you know being busy with being productive, but like you've you've obviously shown that you could be productive on many different levels, and like while one band that you played in may not have had the you know massive impact that uh, you might have wanted, it still has an impact, you know? It's like, mm-hmm. realistically, you could trace through, you know, all the projects that you've played in, um, and you can argue that 
all of them have some impact to somebody, you know, it's not like it went into yeah. a vacuum and no one cares about it, you know, for sure. And that and I've definitely met kids who have like, I like that second civ record than the first one. And it's like, right. all right, sure. That's cool. You know, sure. You're like, I wasn't expecting that, but awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for uh, sure. Um, and so, and then, uh, I wanted to focus on rival schools cause that was, uh, I, w- I was, I saw, uh, quicksand, I think, uh, gosh, play with, uh, offspring. Uh, this was like, you know, it was like offspring and no use for name. This is when I was like 12 or 13 years old. And so like once the idea that, um, you know, all these members of all these bands that I loved were coming together in rival schools, I was just like, oh, there's no way I can't like this band. And I think I saw you guys probably you know, three or four times when you came out here to California, like with burning airlines and, um, you know, whatever. It was one of those things where I just always felt like you guys were on the tip of breaking, Mm. breaking into a much wider audience. Um, obviously you did that over in the UK. Um, Mm -hmm. was it, was it one of those things where in the States it was just like, well, I guess uh, people aren't necessarily getting it from a sort of mainstream perspective. So I guess we got to follow, follow where this happens in the UK and that sort of stuff. Or was it, uh, was it weird weird for you? It was, it was my first taste of like success in the UK, uh, which I liked. I liked that it's so, so much more manageable, you know, than the States. Like in the UK, you could do like a tour of five shows and you hit, you know, the major markets, Manchester, Birmingham, London, or yeah, it's three, but like, you know, it's like a five show tour and you just like nailed it. Um, there's BBC radio, there's a couple, you know, Kerrang, you know, Metal Hammer, a couple publications and like, you know, you could really do a lot of damage with a lot less time. And I liked, I liked that about it. Um, the U S I just came to, you know, it's just a larger fucking beast. And I kind of experienced that with Civ too, of like, you know, kind of U S radio success, buzz clip stuff. And it's just, uh, it's, I wasn't bummed that it didn't sort of happen on a commercial level in the U S I think with rival schools is where we came and we made that record and, you know, we wanted it to be great, but you know, immediately Rolling Stone, I think had, this is the next best record. This is the best thing since Nirvana on the cover of Rolling Stone. So, you know, the expectations were high. I don't think any of us like sort of really, you know, kind of bought in that, but, um, but because we were able to have this sort of success in the UK, it was sort of, it was fun. Like I was, you know, you got to think about bands like, I guess Doggy Dog was a band like that, that were just huge in the UK or, um, you know, for a while, like before Muse really broke, they were huge in France. And it's just kind of cool to be able to dip into this little, like, you know, sort of smaller country and, and experience just another, like a little, Oh shit, this is what it's like to kind of, you know, be a little more popular, I guess. Sure. So it was fun. We were able to do that. We were able to jump in there and, and, you know, we'd be like on a press store and go on a radio, just sort of experience that sort of stuff. It was, it was you know, and, and play, you know, bigger festivals and all that. Right. Um, but rival schools was cool. Like we, I, I agree. I mean, I thought it should have, you know, I, I love the band and I, I think more people would have dug it, but I think, I was happy with the people who did do it, and um, and I think you know we got a lot of respect from it, and and we were able to be super creative outlet. You know, we were able to be really cre- creative, which mm-hmm. I liked a lot. I, you know, I kind of missed that, and um, in the second record too, and all the stuff that we did, I felt like we were really kind of pushing the envelope, especially in the beginning. Yeah, well, yeah, it definitely didn't seem um, like your traditional, uh, story that you hear about people, uh, entering, you know, a, a major label record deal, which obviously, you know, was because of Walter's attachment with Island and everything like yeah. that. But, but you definitely did get a sense that that record was your personalities. Like there's really no two ways about it where you're just like, Oh, like, you know, the, clearly they had co-writers on this or whatever, you know? Right. I think that like, I think Walter, and I'm a, you know, he's my boy and I think he's so talented, 
I think he really shines when he surrounds himself with people that could kind of take him to like a little bit of a different place. So Quicksand's a good example. I mean, like Sergio, you know, and Alan have like such like this sound, you know, such more like kind of maybe more like, you know, Sergio like listens to a lot of hip hop or, you know, and so did Alan, I guess. And like, like Zeppelin and just like a different sort of thing where and Tom Capone has such like a different sort of maybe more metal influence or, you know, and I just feel like that really created that quicksand sound along with Walter's great songwriting. I think rival schools was similar. Like I was coming, you know, Ian is a very psychedelic, very lush, very wet, you know, a lot of effects where Walter is, you know, doesn't play that way with his guitar um, or didn't at the time. And, uh, you know, and Cash has this more like reggae kind of dub thing. And I, you know, I've, I like, you know, one of the things I like about the way I play is, you know, I think largely through my dad is that I was exposed to jazz and African music and Brazilian music and funk and all sorts of different things. So it just, it, it created, uh, it helped create like a cool, a cool sound, I think. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Right. And I think that's, um, that's part of the reason why, uh, I mean, I personally really like what you do on the drums just because it is, you, you can plug your, you into basically any situation and you will be able to, um, not only handle it, but then bring out that emphasis on whatever the band is attempting to accomplish. Like, you know, I look at the work that you did on, 
the glass jaw record. Um, yeah. And it's one of those things where it's just like, you know, I, obviously because I was paying attention to what you were doing, I knew it was you, but I, I think you could probably, you know, play it to a less untrained ear and be like, oh, do you think this drummer played on these records? And they would probably maybe have a, a hard time to put it together, but then be able to um, just based on the fact that it's like, oh, yeah, like he hits very aggressively. This record is very aggressive. And so you're able, you're able right. to lock into that pocket. Yeah, that's the cool. Um, I mean, that's the coolest compliment I think you pay, pay a musician or, you know, is that that they have a sound that you could hear the recording and know who it is. I mean, there's definitely drummers that are better than me, but it's something that I've, I've kind of tried to work at is like have a sound, you know, so. Yeah, I, and that's, hard, you know. And that's, hard, that's hard to do with drums. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Totally. Because you're not clearly you're not playing uh, notes, you know. You have to uh, obviously showcase your, your your style other ways, and I think that's uh, you know that's definitely a well. Like you know, to again, my dad work. plays. My dad, you know, he he plays his thing was like, and I, you know, granted, jazz is a different thing, but he was like, look, you know, the you got to approach it like a musical instrument. Like you should be able to walk into a club and hear a drum solo and know what song they're they're playing, you know, because the drummer should be playing the song, not just bang 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 bang. So, you know, I try to approach hardcore or rock or heavy music or whatever with that sort of approach of just playing musical. You know, if the fill is like a musical thing or, you know, make the fill, if the song starts with the fill or there's a break with the fill, like make it part of the song, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The, um, uh, I wanted to hit on a few more things before I let you go was the, uh, the idea, like you were mentioning, obviously, uh, you, you, after um you know rival schools and uh once that started to kind of die out and like obviously you like you mentioned you did a lot of session work where you played with you know static lullaby did you play on the was it that fossil de tito record on for static lullaby or yeah okay. yeah, yeah. It, it's funny because i uh i think i'm probably one of 10 people that remember that record um but for whatever reason like i really enjoyed that record whereas a lot of other people i mean you know that that record kind of killed that band's career um from a sort of you know mainstream perspective but um I love that record. <laughs> I thought it was really I cool. I mean, I just jumped in. It was one of those moments where, like, I think, like, again, I don't think I'm the – I think there's definitely drummers that are better than me, and there's ways that I can improve a thousand percent. But one thing I'm good at is, like, learning quick, you know, and, like, retaining information, I think. And, and just – so that was one of those scenarios of just, like, meet these guys, jump in, join it, uh, and, like, got get down, like, you know, 15 or 16 songs and record. But I really liked it. It was very – it was a little mathy and, like, a little intense. Um you know, I don't know like where they were at. Like, if, yeah, if that was the record was like the kiss of death as far as like their sellout record or whatever the fuck it was. But um, right. But there was some cool shit on it. I liked it. I liked the singer. Yes, I liked there was um, like three singers in the band, but I liked this one dude in particular had a good voice, like really cool voice. They were, they were all good. Yeah, for sure. Um, but what, what was kind of the, uh, and not even so much from like a negative uh, perspective, but like what was kind of the, 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 the screwball that got thrown at you in regards to the, the session work that you were doing? Was it like the Limp Biscuit session or was it something uh, else that was kind of like, huh, how, why would someone even think of me to do this thing? The screwball, like, uh, like just out of, out of left field that you would have never have, you know, expected you playing on a certain record or working with a, a certain person. Um, so, yeah, something, something that's yeah, kind of Yeah, I mean, part, you know, field. I think part of it kind of maybe goes back to your career question, too, of like, all right, well, I'm getting older. Like, shit, maybe I need to be like a professional drummer or like a professional session dude. So um, and I didn't know what that meant or you know how to do that necessarily. A lot of it was just sort of word of mouth. And so, you know, again, like when. I think that I, 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 kind of back to what I was saying earlier about how things just sort of happen naturally. So a static lullaby, my friend Rodney was the band's manager and Rodney was the first manager of Glassjaw. And so that just was like a conversation that happened. And I think I might've met those guys in New York and it just sort of happened naturally. Um, 
and then that kind of while I was out in California, the Ross Robinson, the Limp Bizkit thing just sort of happened because he was there, and then you the drummer. So it was, um, you know, with all those things, it just you know, just follow the signs of, of of life and and you know put myself out there. And if it's a shitty, you know, if anyone's a dick or the music sucks, and I I wouldn't do it. But uh, yeah, I don't know if that does that answer your question. Well, I, basically, I, in your own head, which is which job that you've kind of like gotten, like I said, from a sort of studio perspective. Uh, that was the most um, uh, just bizarre. You were just like, I would never have expected oh. this to come through. Yeah, I mean, definitely Limp Bizkit. That's fucking sure. I, like I hated Limp Bizkit. Like I used to talk shit about. It, you know what I mean? Like right, right, they, right. They were like the ultimate. Like, do not like this band. I would have sure. never ever have predicted that in a thousand years. So that um, that was a weird one. And then what was the other band? I can never Lost Profits. Oh, like you, that I, was, I didn't know you did work with them. Yeah, like uh, my friend was their manager, this guy HM, and he's like, hey, the drummer's like, these guys got have to do this radio show, and the drummer can't do it. Can you just like fly into Chicago that morning, rehearse, and play the show that night? So I was like, sure. And so I just, you know, spent like two weeks just kind of listening to the music in my headphones and, you know, air drumming and played, played a little bit along to it on my own. And then just, you know, kind of did that and rolled up and met the guys, and we had like a quick rehearsal and, and played that night. That was pretty bizarre. Just like. Right unexpected weird totally. you know right be, essentially, cool. you, I don't know, yeah essentially you're being airlifted in to uh to handle this and that's uh that's yeah crazy and again too like that was i was getting paid so that was also what i did you know i didn't want to work at a clothing store i didn't want to work at a coffee shop you know what i mean like that was also part of getting older and needing to make some money but and i you know and it, i also enjoyed it too that's awesome yeah. yeah, I mean, that's the, I, I, I just like that uh, idea because it's like, who knows what you're playing and your personal influence, like all, all, all the all the things that you would bring to the table and potentially introduce to other people who may not have no context for, you know, independent music in general um, may reflect on you and be like, yeah, Sammy was cool. Like, what's what's more about him? And then, you know, they can find out about this whole world. And all of a sudden you've introduced um you know, people to a whole different side of life that they might not have ever uh, paid attention yeah, to. Yeah, I just think, you know, hardcore, I fucking love the hell out of it. You know what I mean? Like, I grew up, fortunately, just kind of a friend, my friend turned me on to punk when I was really young. And fortunately, I was able to meet the, you know, Purcell and these guys in, in other bands and get turned on to hardcore. And it's so cool. But it also, and I guess you could say this about any scene, but there's just a lot of people in it that just kind of have blinders on that are just like, all I listen to is hardcore and that is it. And hardcore, hardcore, hardcore. And it's like, it's just so you got to be open. There's so much cool shit out there, you know, right. especially if you're a musician, like totally. don't limit yourself to just playing, you know, book up, book up, book up, book up, you know, or whatever, like, you know, right. <laughs> box yeah. chord progression thing. So totally. I just, um, I'm fortunate that, that yeah, that's kind of how I, I like to do things is just keep it all open. And I love doing, you know, and that's what's cool about doing world be free now is that at the same time, like I love doing a fucking pure hardcore record. And that was in 2016. You know what I mean? And we just played yeah. last night. I played like in L.A. and playing a, a skate shop tonight. So right. I just like doing it all and, and definitely uh, going back to my roots, you know, whenever I can. Yeah, well, I think it's uh, I think it's fun, too, because you can um, you obviously can collect all these experiences. You can have this wide breadth of like, oh, yeah, I played a show in front of 10,000 people and I've played a show in front of 20 people. And like they both have yes. their they both have their positive things and they both have their negative things. And uh, if you don't experience one, um, you may not have the appreciation for the other, you know? Yeah. 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 
Um, and so you mentioned uh, kind of focusing in on, on, on your personal life where you mentioned you uh, moved to L.A. and because uh, you're working at an advertising agency, correct? Yeah, I really a friend of mine from New York, uh, works for this company out here, and he's just like, hey, man, like we need like sort of a music dude for when like brands and music kind of want to do stuff together. Um, and you would like to have the job. So that's you know, having a daughter and kind of just also ready for some sort of a change. I mean, I love New York, but I grew up on downtown and was living downtown and, you know, just, just kind of know it really well, uh, was open to this change. So moved out about three and a half years ago with my family and, um, and do this job. And it's cool. I mean, you know, it's peaks and valleys and stuff. I'm, I'm definitely happy. I still get to play. It kind of balances out some of the, the kind of the more corporate side of, of the job. But, uh, I was just like in a meeting earlier today, though, talking about some, event like you want to do an event in LA like an outdoor concert event and it's I'm able to pull from my experiences you know throughout life of of really you know being on the first warp tour seeing them figure it out you know and then or bigger festivals or smaller like festivals that did not work or disasters where fucking the weather you know killed nine people or we like we did in happened in uh, Poco Pop or Pinko Pop in in Brussels with rival schools and like you know I don't know just like different it's cool it's cool to be able to kind of use all my life experiences and you know to in this job so that's cool it's fun i mean there's definitely sides of it again that are just sort of you know kind of corporate not exciting but what i do like about i guess marketing or advertising is that it can be creative and my mother was a copywriter so she used to write like copy for you know macy's and clothing things and this and that and it's and my dad's a musician so in a weird way it kind of blends both those both their occupations right um coming up with creative solutions where you know, and again, there's lots of lame ones out there, but there's some cool shit. Like, I don't, American Express does something called Unstaged, which is like when they get like, a, like Steve Buscemi directed, um, who was it, like the Arctic Monkeys or something like that. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, just there's clever ways, I think, of doing it. Um, Absolutely. So that's kind of, it's a well, fun I, challenge. I, yeah, no, it's cool because I, I always think people of a creative nature, um, especially that have been influenced by independent music, can step into that sort of marketing advertising role so quickly and easily because you've been doing it for years on your own and like you don't even know that you're learning a particular skill. <laughs> like you don't right. know you're advertising your band by you know printing shirts and stickers and stuff like that, but then you realize like, oh yeah, most people don't have that experience. So they don't even like, if you just went up to a random person in the street and you're like, Hey, could you order a t-shirt? Like, you know, they would probably spend like $40 a t-shirt cause they would have no idea like, how to do it. Um, right. Whereas like people like you and I could just step right into it and be like, Oh yeah, I, get, I know a guy can get us a, you know, shirts for like five bucks a piece and we'll, uh, we'll have them by tomorrow. It's like, what, how? Well, and, yeah. And also like you never think of it as far as, uh, I, mean, I never thought of it like as, you know, like the dead Kennedys as creating a brand or anything like that. But you know, all these things are like we're creative. You know, maybe not with definitely not with the intent of like creating a brand, but they are like fucking you know identifiable identifiable brands that have been around for like you know years and are super Absolutely. successful. Circle totally. jerks like Skanking Dude or the Seven Second Seven or Youth Today Fist or any of that stuff. Like I mean, the Revelation R, you know, yeah. all that stuff. It's, it's almost uh, it's almost even separate. Like some people know the icon, you know the iconography, but they don't even know it's actually attached to something else. Besides, it's like, oh yeah, I know that. You know, right. I know the, the Misfits, Crimson, Crimson Ghost. But then they're like, oh, that's a band. It's like, oh yeah, that's that's how big it's gotten. Yeah, I mean, Ray Cap was a marketing genius, dude. He started Revelation Records. He started Youth Today. He started Shelter. You know, he had a shoe company for a little bit. You know, he's just done. You know, now he's a huge successful yogi guy. Um, right. You know, it's pretty cool. And when you think about that, of like, and that, again, that was never his intent. I was like, let me start a, like a, a brand that'll be around 20, 30, 40 years later. 
Totally. Um, last thing I want to hit on was the fact, like, I, I know you've mentioned that you have a daughter. How old's your daughter? Six. Six, okay. And how is the, because uh, obviously there's, there's I, I myself am a father of a four-year-old boy, so it's one of those things where it's uh, it's really interesting coming from the community. That was not her crying, by the way. I was just like <laughs> a cute, a different crying baby walking down the totally. street. Totally. Yeah. I felt that was very appropriate. Cute um, crying baby. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, coming from the community that we do, it's kind of interesting uh, ha- raising children with that sort of uh, context. Um, what sort of stuff have you kind of, um, I-, I guess, learned either about, you know, either parenting, fatherhood, that sort of stuff in regards to the fact that, um, you know, a lot of the stuff that you were doing and getting into was, was rebellious by nature um, and how that all influences you as a father. Definitely look back at my life and be like, holy shit, I was fucking, that's crazy. I would lose my mind if my daughter ends up doing acid at age 11. <laughs> but, you know, like... Um, but it's cool. It's like walking around with a mirror, you know, you're just looking at yourself like, you know, there's, they say, you know, things that you say and, and they're into things that you're into and if, you know, good habits and bad habits, but you know, musically, like when they're young, you know, you can, you kind of have some sort of control like of what they can listen to and what they can eat and all that stuff. Like, uh, you know, definitely tried to expose her to, she got really into Blondie. She got really into kit to kiss. And then, um, and like Joan Jett was interesting. And then she went to a birthday party. She got a little older and got a CD and it had like Pitbull and Katy Perry and stuff on it. So she kind of ended up getting to this pop world, but she's into some, she's into some cool music. The, the notion of, uh, you know, being, being raised in uh, the community that we have been just because it is, you know, it was very contrarian by nature. So like the idea of your daughter rebelling against you, like, is that something that you'll, you'll be able to identify with more or is it scare you or where does it kind of sit in your head? Well, it's weird. Like, I feel like I stumbled upon the perfect storm of like straight edge hardcore where we know which, or like, you know, straight edge with, with my friends, this is going back to like, you know, 85, 86, when I was really young and met, you know, these guys and they were all really great people. Some of my, you know, best friends to this day. So at the same time, if I just a couple clicks to the left, you know, there were some really scary people around too. So it's hard to, I mean, I'm definitely on board with her thinking outside the box and going against the grain and all that stuff. But, you know, there's fine lines within all that. So I think just being kind of like how my parents were you know it's just sort of being on it you know being observing i guess and like you know again like my house when i was was like sort of the clubhouse and so my mom was you know always inviting my friends over and making food for everybody and you know kind of like the clubhouse so she was i think also just aware of what was going on and she felt comfortable and that's why i was allowed to go on all these tours i mean definitely encourage my daughter and to to do that because at the same time there's if you you know, if you stay the the course, there's so much. There's so you know, there's bad shit that can happen anywhere, but there's so much bad stuff that could happen um, just by not thinking outside the box. So that was my mom's whole deal too. She's like, you could get more trouble, you know, going on road trips with the school football team than you could going to play a show in Buffalo with you today. So, right, right. No, that's yeah. pretty. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, I just always find it interesting when. The parent, you know, the uh, people who at one point in their lives were just like, oh, I, I'm not even thinking about children because obviously you're not supposed to. But then you have one later in life and it's like, oh, yeah, like I can see where rebellion would sit in their lives. And how am I going to handle that? Yep. Yeah, uh, it's really cool. It's, it's, a, it's a whole journey. It's great. Right. For um, sure. What, and so uh, the uh, obviously, like you mentioned, your the the last thing I went ahead was was uh, world be free in the uh, the notion that basically everybody you're playing with has uh, been friends for quite some time, and just the sheer joy that you can 
uh, you know, honestly, you can kind of hear in the record where it's just like everybody's been wanting to do something like this for quite some time. So um, is that is that really just the case or am I just reading too much? Uh, too, well, too much I don't into think it? like, yeah, I mean, we're not all like really, you know, old friends. I mean, some of them are newer friends. Like I've known Scott Vogel for a long time, but never really hung out with him. And I've known, you know, Andrew a little bit more, but still, you know, sort of newer friends. I never, you know, Arthur and I go way back. Um, so it is kind of new, but it's, again, it's something that just sort of like kept just sort of like, it just happened so naturally. I mean, it was like a year and a half ago of a phone conversation of like, Hey, let's do like, you know, maybe go get together and write a couple songs. And we wrote like three, we wrote six, we wrote nine, we wrote 10 over the course of a year, we wrote like 20 songs and it was just sort of fun. And we would just meet every other couple of weeks. And the next thing you know, it was like, fuck, we got like a little, we got a body of work here. Like, let's record it. And, you know, had this hookup with a studio at Hurley and recorded these songs. And it was like, shit, this is good. And then, you know, when Scott did the vocals, it was like, man, this is like way better than expected. And it's, uh, it just happened very naturally. And, you know, the one, I guess the one thing in all of our minds, definitely in my mind was like, I would love to make a really fucking good hardcore record. Kind of like when I was young and I stumbled upon, you know, Screaming for Change or Out of Step by Minor Threat or, you know, any of those records, it'd be so cool to make a record and not to say that we did it, but just that was the intent was like to make a fucking awesome hardcore record. Um, and it's been fun. It's fun that it's fun that I don't, you know, I'm just learning with these guys. So I don't know them that well, you know, some of them, I mean, it's nice to have Arthur there. And, but, uh, so it's, it's just cool. It's a new band. It just, it kind of just happened. It, it was, it could have right. definitely have just been an EP many times, but it had just like, now it's, we played last night and, you know, we've got like two sweatshirts, a bunch of t-shirts and a CD and a cassette. And, you know, like right. one, like this little mini right now. And, it somehow became a real, a real event. So it's, right. It's, it's cool. The feedback's been really good. Sure. I mean, one negative feedback I saw was like, oh, it's totally formulaic. And it's like, yeah, Dick, that's the point. It's fucking totally formulaic <laughs> because that was the goal to make. We're not trying to make like uh, EP, EP into right. another or something innovative and out the box. Like, you know, we're trying to make a hardcore record. Right. And, and the fact you also get to put out a, another record on Revelation some, you know, 15, 20 years later. So cool. I mean, George came to the show the other night. I was just like, dude, thank you so much. This is so much fun being able to, like, yes, exactly. Right. And it feels fresh. It doesn't feel like a bunch of old dudes getting together, like, which is, you know, kind of my bar with all this stuff of doing Judge or doing any of these bands. It's like, can I fucking play these songs? Am I in good shape? Are we all sounding good? Are we all in good spirits? And it's, you know, um, so we have World Tree. It feels fresh and it feels uh, good. We're actually playing in a couple nights. We're playing with Judge. So I'll be doing a little back to back. Right. drumming stash <laughs> it's all i i do i do like that uh, i wasn't uh, planning on discussing the idea of reunions and stuff like that just because i mean it, it is a topic that many people have kind of uh, beaten to the ground but i do i like that that's your guiding principle of just like hey can we can we execute these songs are they going to sound good like are we going to you know ruin our legacy by getting up there and you know like you said being old men doing this stuff so i, I like that that is also on your mind because that's uh, otherwise yeah, like, i like to have, i like to have my ear to the ground and ask the, ask the right people yeah i mean i like like i said i definitely like to have my ear to the ground and, and try and you know think for myself but it's also nice to ask some people that i trust like hey man is this working like is this good like where are we fucking good last night it's look like a bunch yeah was a bunch of old dudes getting back together or you know how much longer can judge play or you know just yeah i was talking to the singer forgive last night about that um and he's cool he's you know i really trust his opinion and um so he said we can continue for the next 30 years just to play ballads right right <laughs> no i'm just kidding 
yeah, no, I really appreciate your time, Sammy. Thank you so much for, uh, for hanging. And, um, yeah, like I said, I'll introduce myself tonight and, uh, I'll, uh, I'll thank you in person. <laughs> awesome, man. Yeah. Let me know when this is coming out to, and I'll, I'll get the word out. And, um, I appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Right on, bro. All right. Bye, Sammy. Later, man. Sammy Siegler was on a podcast that I brought together and holy crap. Sorry. Let me just revel in that moment. I just, uh, yeah, it's so weird because it's like, here's me. 16-year-old me thinking in my head, like, oh, wow, man, punk and hardcore is so cool, watching these people play music and doing all this stuff, and now I get to, like, speak with them on the same level, and um, ah, it's just, it's awesome, and I appreciate you for wanting to listen to that awesome and learning so much about these people's lives and just really taking a deep dive into what makes these people tick. Anyways, uh, enough, enough waxing nostalgic about how excited I am to speak to these people. But anyways, thank you very much to Sammy, and thank you very much to a previous guest on the show, Stephanie Marlowe, the publicist. She uh, decided to uh, help put this together, so I appreciate that, Stephanie. And uh, thank you very much for you, the listener. Yeah, I'm talking to you, who's riding their bike or driving a car or... Actually, I just got an email from a person who said uh, they roll pasta for 10 hours a day, and uh, this is what they do to pass the time. So big ups to you. Thank you very much. Anyways... Next week, the guest will be, uh, do I want to tell you? Do I want to tell you? Um, yeah, you know what I'm going to tell you. So it's actually just going to be one of those Fredversations like I've coined. It's with uh, Buddy Nielsen, the vocalist from Census Fail, who I've had on the show a couple times now. And uh, him and I are going to uh, dive deep on a certain subject. We were talking on the phone about some things, and I was like, dude, I want to record this because this is some really, really compelling thought-provoking stuff and yeah so we're gonna go to a lot of different places and I'm, I'm excited about that so next week is buddy and please until next week be safe everybody you've been listening to the jabberjaw podcast network jabberjawmedia.com the show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.